the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. And welcome to the Spot Track Capcast. I'm Kevin Sylvester along with Paul Peck and Mike Gennetti from SpotTrack.com. We're going to talk all about salary cap, the business of sports, money, 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 money in sports. Show and- me the money, Kevin. <laughs> My actually will ask Mike to show us yes. about all the money. Yeah, Mike's so. going to show us about the money, especially the NBA money with the season starting uh, this week, uh, opening night for many teams in the NBA when we record this podcast. And there was not just millions, not hundreds of millions, Mike, billions of dollars spent this offseason. Yeah, it's been an incredible offseason with the NBA. You know, we're looking at, you know, $2.4 billion in, in free agent signings this offseason. You know, another $1.5 billion in terms of extensions. So, you know, $4 billion just kind of thrown around to these players. And, uh, you know, it's only getting bigger for the, the next couple seasons. So It's amazing when we're talking about billions of dollars. And these are, uh, a lot of that's guaranteed, uh, the billions. Yeah, you're talking, you know, 98% of this money guaranteed right now, at, at, right at signing. And, and really, the, what's crazy about it is we're talking about 15 players on a team here. You know, we're not talking about 53 players like the NFL is dealing with. And those numbers, you know, seem absurd at the time. But when you're, when you're looking at the, the truncated rosters and the amount of money being thrown around fully guaranteed, it's really an impressive situation for that league going forward right now. To display exactly how crazy it is, you have some comparisons to the NFL, um, which just shows you the sheer amount of a difference of a smaller roster versus guaranteed salaries yeah like we, we, went, we mentioned the 2.4 billion in free agent signings for the nba this offseason that's identical to what the nfl free agents period came came about except only 900,000 of that is guaranteed so in a league where, where nfl salaries you know are rising the guaranteed money isn't really following suit as as it should be and uh you know that's cause for concern going forward you know one of the things that's Interesting, the NBA and the salary cap, the top two teams, I mean, this it seems like it makes sense, but they're so close, the top two teams in the NBA, the last two champions, they are, I mean, we're talking a margin, thin margin between the two of them salary cap. Yeah. Um, the, the Warriors and the Cavaliers, you know, Goliath and Goliath, they're, they're kind of two entities going in different directions in terms of how they're structuring their roster, but financially, they're within $300,000 of each other in terms of the cap, so... You know, they're, they're atop the league in terms of, of financial spending right now. Um, but certainly the Warriors have, you know, more all-stars to spread that out to right now. And, and it's kind of an interesting trend now that you're starting to see in sports, Mike, is that the, the great players want to go where the other great players are, and they want to go to the place where they have the best chance to win. So you look at the star-studded lineups of both the Cavs, particularly the Cavs this year, with the adding of Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose, uh, and Golden State kind of did that obviously last year with Kevin Durant, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. Your first inclination is how are they getting all of these guys on their team and affording it? But the the answer is guys are willing to go there for less, which doesn't happen often in sports. Right. So so the removal of Kyrie Irving from that Cavaliers roster obviously cleared up a significant amount of cap space. And basically what they did is they brought in four to five, you know, high caliber players on veteran minimum contracts. You're talking $1.4 million in terms of the cap going forward here. So they, they were able to fill Kyrie's void with, you know, essentially a new bench for them, for them going forward this year. I never, you never forsake any professional athlete for trying to get as much money as they can get, but it's all related here. You, you, the salaries have gone up so much. The guys, Dwayne Wade's made plenty of money in his career. You could probably tell me exactly how much he's made. So at some point, 
they say it's not always about the money. It's about my best opportunity, and I'm willing to go somewhere for quote-unquote less. But even what you're saying is less because of the sheer numbers isn't less in anybody's mind other than when you relate it to the rest of the NBA. I have the answer on Wade. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> it's a- and, and it's a really interesting <laughs> dynamic as far as building a team goes because because the guys you know are willing to go places to win and take less money, partly because they've made so much in their careers before that you know to drop down to a $2 million a year salary or whatever it might be, is not hurting their ability to uh, pay the rent and, and the utilities. No, cer- certainly. It's who you're playing with. It's where you're playing. It's what your chances are to win. And certainly it's how much I've already made. So in, in Dwayne Wade's case, that's $176 million with, you know, let's, a not, lot. let's also not forget he's making $15.5 million not to play for the Bulls this year. So that helps. Right. But- I mean, that that's the significant <laughs> part right there. The Bulls bought him out so he can afford, forgive me, but – no, but he can he can afford uh, to go play for the minimum in Cleveland, uh, which is what a one one four and change the veteran minimum contract to go there to be reunited with LeBron James, um, you know where they were together in Miami because he's getting the fifteen and a half million, which is about his market where he is. He is thirty five years old, um, still a, a very useful player. Uh, in the NBA, and to be back with Dwayne, uh, excuse me, LeBron James. That's where the Kyrie Irving trade. Everybody's like, well, why does that make sense? Well, you look at what they did. The, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they clear cap space. They get Isaiah Thomas, although he's got injury issues. But you bring in Wade. You brought in Derrick Rose, who's had injury issues, but when healthy and limited minutes, could be very effective for the Cavaliers. And even Calderon, um, who they've got. So they they – have really and, filled it with four players to replace Kyrie Irving. Yeah, and, you know, and again, Mike, it, as you look at it, it, relates to other sports. It, you know, sports are built on the parity angle of that's why the worst teams draft the highest in order to get better. But it would seem to me that the money, the money skews now those lesser teams' ability to get better and almost allows the better teams to stay better. It's really how you structure it, right? So, I mean, we talk about te- you know players taking t- taking uh, a, a loss in money this year, and even Kevin Durant took two million less than he than he could have taken. I mean, he he made twenty seven million last year. He's making twenty five million this year, which in the grand scheme of things seems ridiculous. But that's how these big teams are doing this. They're they're asking those players to not max out, to not go crazy, to not take the top dollar. And they're using things like the veteran minimum salary and trades to really, you know, structure their their roster in a way that's beneficial for them across an 82-2 game season. Interesting team to me is Oklahoma City. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan. I think he's a phenomenal player. Uh, He was incredible last year, and he got an on uh, just a. astronomical contract extension in the offseason. You know, he's going to make $28.5 million this year. That's his, uh, his cap figure for this year. Goes up to $35 million next year. But Oklahoma City's one of those teams that made the trades, acquired some uh, you know other big-name players, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, uh, you know, with two huge gets for the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's another team that's going to be interesting to watch uh, not only this year, but going forward with a salary cap uh, and how they can keep the band together, and that's where the veteran minimum comes into play. Yeah, they're going to have to basically follow suit with the Cavaliers uh, from this season because that 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 Westbrook thirty-five you know million dollar cap hit's going to certainly dominate that structure going forward. You know, guys like George 
will probably fall off next year. He's he's probably going to max out somewhere else. Um, and Anthony, you know, he may may stick around through the rest of his contract there. But really, what they've done here is they've they've loaded up for one big push. They're really a it, it was a way for them to keep Russell Westbrook in town. You know, where they couldn't do the same with Durant a couple years ago. So this this seems like a one year push for for Oklahoma City. And yeah, they're going to be in some interesting cap structure next year. Has there been any chatter in the NBA or really any of the sports that we're talking about where where in a lot of ways this is legalized circumventing of the cap, so to speak? I mean, the <laughs> cap rules were set in place to make it a level playing field that you couldn't hoard all the great players on your team because in a normal situation you couldn't afford them. You know, and, and again, there's always a have and a have not. There, there's always there's always the, the Green Bay Packers, Buffalo Bills, and the Cowboys and the Giants in the NFL and the Yankees and the Red Sox and, uh, you know, and well, it used to be the Kansas City Royals, but not so much anymore. But you know what I'm saying? In a lot of ways, it's a legalized a way to get around the cap yeah so I, I think both of you probably heard Michael Jordan's comments this week but where basically he said there's two really great NBA teams and the rest of us are garbage so you know his team included so I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that but I understand get your what tickets now please yeah, that's right that's right <laughs> go Hornets <laughs> I used to work for the Hornets back in the day anyhow so so I I think what he's alluding to is kind of what you're saying that that the players are really kind of dominating the structure of the, of the league right now, you know, and it's even more than you, you've made mention to there. Not only are they dominating where they want to play and who they want to play with, but they're structuring these contracts, you know, one, one and done contracts, essentially. They, they've adopted this NCAA one and done rule where they can get not the max amount of money, but a good amount of money in year one. Then if they want to leave, they can leave and go do it again, either there or somewhere else. So, they're circumventing the, 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 the rules of the contract structures more so than they are the salary cap. The teams are using the salary cap as they should always have been using it. You know? and, and really, the NFL has yet to catch up to this. There, there are teams that, that are, have been doing this since 2011 when this went into place, but there are teams who haven't figured this out yet either in the NFL, that we can, we can kind of push the important positions as high as we want, you know, get our elite players, and then really work hard to build depth using veteran minimums and trades and things like that. But that's really that's a that's a that's a way that the salary cap should be massaged. The options, the player options, that's a different story. And I think that's probably a good discussion going forward. You know, you know what's um, interesting to me is when you look at the NBA and, and those who you know, follow basketball, and you know, you go to SpotTrack.com and you could check out all the position, uh, the salary by position per team, and how much they spend at each position. And, you know, if you went 20 years ago, center would be probably the, the top uh, spot where you spend money on centers. Um, you know, maybe even 25 years ago, you know, I'm thinking Kareem Abdul-Jabari, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, just a couple of centers uh, that come to mind. But now the center position and even in the NBA, it's, um, you know, some teams don't even play a center. Uh, you know, look at the Golden State Warriors. They really don't play a center, um, and they don't spend much money at all in the center position. Matter of fact, uh, it's uh, six, $6.26 million on the center position in the NBA. Fascinating to me. It's all about the point guard um, and the swingman, if you will. You know, what, what is LeBron James? The three-point shooter as well, too. Well, you but, know? But, it's... but what is LeBron James? He plays everything. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you know, so actually it's part of you, you. Mike, you need to go back and spread all of his money, and it's a lot of it, over every position for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But it was just fascinating to me to see how, how little uh, in NBA terms out of those billions is being spent on the center position because these big men are now they're growing up handling the basketball. Uh, they're shooting the three pointers. You know, think about the freak in Milwaukee, right? There's 
20 years ago, nope, you don't get the dribble. You know, you <laughs> you just have to go play down low on the block, and that's uh, the evolution of the game, and therefore the money has also changed where it's being spent. Yeah, so so the center position is sort, sort of equated to the running back position in football, right? It's not just a one-stop shop anymore. You want that center to be an athlete, someone who can run the court, someone who can do multiple things. I mean, you, you talk about the Warriors and their centers. The San Antonio Spurs literally do not have a center on their roster. Their big men are power forwards. They have zero dollars allocated, allocated to the center position right now. They just they have completely written that part of the game off. They are going to be small. They're going to be fast. They're going to be quick, and they're going to defend in terms of the guards. And the reason they're doing that is because the Golden State Warriors have forty-two million dollars allocated to their point guard position. Right? They've got seventy million dollars allocated to all their guards. So. They're small, they're fast, they shoot, they shoot threes. So you've got to be able to defend that, stop that, and match it. Yeah, I see, you know, there's the note on your NBA story, Mike, that says five teams entered the season with less than 10 million allocated to centers. And oh, by the way, three of them are the Spurs, Warriors, and Rockets, three <laughs> of the best teams in the league. So, you know, again, and, and, and if they're doing it, then everyone else will start to do it as well, too, because that's how all of sports works. Wait a minute, they're doing it that way. We're going to do it that way. It's a very interesting dynamic. And again, it ties right to salary and analytics, where somebody says, you know what, we, by shooting a bunch of threes, we get much more value per possession than dumping the ball down low to a big guy for a bunch of layups. So that has lended to the trend of getting away from big guys. You know, the, the other thing that the NBA got away from, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't like this. Although, you know, it's cool to see the super teams in a little bit, but the players, as you mentioned earlier, Mike, are orchestrating things themselves. All right, we're going to all go play together and have your agent, uh, who they've become really savvy on how to uh, navigate contracts uh, within the salary cap system, uh, is where it used to be the star players wanted to beat the other star players, and there were rivalries. And, hey, we're going to try to put the best, best team around Dominique Wilkins to try to beat Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. But now, if nowadays Dominic Wilkins and Larry Bird talk to each other in the offseason and say and start tweeting at each other, we should join up and be on the same team. And that's why you have the situation that Michael Jordan was talking about. Jordan comes from an era, and it's fascinating to me. Most of the general managers, executives, coaches played in that era where you didn't want, I didn't want to be with Paul Peck or Mike Gennetti. I want to beat those guys. Sure. I want to be better than them. And it's like if you can't beat them, join them now. Does it make them less or more likable, the superstars in this in this league, in comparison to other leagues? That's a great question. Fascinating question. Yeah. That's a great hey, question. We ask the questions here on this podcast, <laughs> That's right. Mike. I'll Part say less I'll say less less likable. Yeah. I admire um Russell Westbrook, um, who decided to stay and you know the contract. Now they got him some more help, but I thought he had his best season when, you know, he lost his wingman in Kevin Durant. But see, now I'll flip it around and say it to some degree it's more likable because in a lot of ways they're suppressing their own egos because, let's be honest, great players are, are, have large egos and they want to lead the league in scoring. And and very often, or now it's only becoming more realistic now, guys didn't want to go somewhere where they were going to get 10 less shots per game because that was that's seven less baskets they were going to make and now their stats weren't going to uh, reflect their talent. And frankly, for most of our lives, stats are how you got paid. So it's interesting, on the other hand, that players are willing to go to see a bigger picture of winning. And I'm okay, I'm okay not scoring 20. I'll score 12 because I'm going to share the ball with these other guys here. But my my big picture is I want to win. You know, it doesn't like it, coaches, because they realize they have no power whatsoever in the situation. It's all about the players. 
And if you don't believe that, just look at every team LeBron James has played for. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Mike, anything else jump out at you about the NBA as the season gets going here? Anything uh, that really jumped off the page at you about how teams are being structured, monies, salaries, all that stuff? And, and, and I know part of your answer might very well be as you're looking ahead to 2018, but at least for this season. Yeah, really, it's just the, you know, how, how, how the roster is being structured in terms of the starting five versus the rest of their roster. I think a lot of teams in the last two years who have fallen short of the Warriors and the Cavaliers long term throughout that 82 game season did so because they just didn't have the depth. So, so really what you saw this year is maybe that starting five isn't, isn't earning as much as they had been in terms of percentage of the cap going forward throughout this season and maybe they've allocated some of those dollars toward the sixth seventh and eighth man on the roster and that's a that's a pretty divisive way to look at this season coming forward because that's that is how teams can outlast LeBron James and the Cavaliers especially with LeBron and his age how much how much value he has to that roster you know any kind of injury or downtime from him and the Cavaliers can slip so you know you saw a lot more depth pull this year a lot more money pulled towards you know the sixth through eight guy on, on the on the roster, and I think that's a good structure going forward. All right, and going forward, I expect LeBron James to play for the Lakers. All right, uh, I that's just, a later podcast. Yeah, discussion. well, I just thought I'd throw that in there. That's just a foreshadow of next season's Spot Track podcast uh, about the NBA contracts. Um, let's uh, move to football here uh, quickly and talk about all the injuries that have happened in the NFL and what that means for teams. And their salary caps, uh, J.J. Watt, Odell Beckham Jr., um, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been determined whether or not he'll be uh, shut down for the season. But these are significant, significant players that uh, have suffered season-ending injuries or close to it. Yeah, you're looking at teams that have, you, you know, you're probably there's probably half the teams in the league right now just quickly looking that have at least 10 players on the injured reserve at some point this season. So, you know, the, the numbers are starting to pile up. We do track uh, these IR numbers every single day. So as as players are you know added and removed from the injured reserve list, we are tracking that at spotrate.com. And uh, right now you're looking at you know two teams, the Dolphins and the Texans, who who are you know north of 27 million dollars in cap spent towards injured players this year. So it's it's a significant chunk of money. It's only going to get worse. We're only six weeks in. So like I said, you know when players like Aaron Rodgers and a few more of those guys from last week, which was a devastating week across the league start getting added to the IR, you're going to see these numbers really pile up, and it will affect how teams can maneuver this year and really next year because, remember, there's rollover cap, there's cap that that they don't want to use up, that they may have to use up to sign guys off the streets to make trades in the next couple of weeks. So you are going to see some teams sort of position themselves to not only replace these players but circumvent their cap situation too. I don't know that it happens at the highest level of the players that we're talking about, Mike, but I get a sense there's a little more of a trend towards the quote-unquote two-way contracts in the NFL where it's a salary if you're active and a salary if you're if you're not active or uninjured, is that something that's starting to happen more, and or and does it apply in any of these cases? So, so it's certainly built into the rookie contracts that came with the CBA. So, any of these younger guys that are that that hit the IR, they are being split salaried in terms of how they're, they hit the injury reserve. But, but essentially, the, you know, those elite guys like you're talking about, uh, you know, every dollar just becomes, you know, paid. Any vested veteran, any player with four years' experience, the second they're on the week win roster, their salary is fully guaranteed. So. Whether they're active, whether they're cut, whether they're traded, it's their salary for the year. So, you know, injuries are devastating to the player and the team alike. 
Uh, in Odell Beckham's case, he's due to become a free agent. So what kind of an impact does this injury potentially have on his market? Because he might have very well been the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history, depending on next year's deal. Yeah, so he was certainly trending in that direction. I, I, we do we do evaluation system where we, where we use a formula to kind of value these players pretty much every single week. So we take their production from, from the week. We, we take the, the, their distance in terms of how that production compares to other wide receivers in the league, and we kind of put a market value on these players. And, and our numbers just never matched up with him being this high-paid elite player. He's, he just never has – he's never reached there yet, even though the, the touchdowns have been there and, you know, he's had good weeks. He hasn't been able to put it up consistently, and he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And now we're at a position now where his – his contract is expiring. His fifth-year option is set to expire here, and he's, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. So you're in a funny situation if you're the Giants who aren't really winning. So that's another part of it. Um, are they rebuilding? Are they going to shut it all down and break, break it down and build it back up? It's going to be tough to see how they see him going forward. And then from there, there'll be a market value. If he hits the free agent market, that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, and, and that's the, a – go ahead. Yeah, uh, there's there's no holding back at that point. Right, and he's not the only big wide receiver who's going to – all those guys in that class, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, all those guys are due to become free agents. And I'm sure a lot of them were thinking Odell was going to set the market. Now you look at that and you wonder if maybe a Mike Evans uh, I was going to say Mike the, Evans is probably the guy, He's right? probably the guy now. I got to think him and, him and Beckham are 1A, 1B right now. I think – Evans can certainly distance himself in the next 10 weeks or so. Um, he's certainly been the more consistent over the last three years. But, um, you know, if you're a Sammy Watkins and, and the rest of the players, Brandon Cooks and those guys in that class, you're hoping these guys get contracts, not only so they set the market, but that, so they don't hit the open market. I mean, you want to be the number one name on the market. So a guy like Sammy Watkins, who's been up and down and now bounced around, you know, he's hoping he hits, he hits March as the number one wide receiver available. And Mike, our contract of the week is a quarterback in the National Football League, but one that has not played this year and may not play this year. It is Colts quarterback Andrew Luck. Yeah, so Andrew Luck, he uh, he signed his $123 million contract last June, and uh, it seemed about as good as gold in terms of locking him that player in with this team for the immediate and long-term future. Um, certainly there's been bumps. He's been injured. He's had you know poor production play in the last two and a half years or so. Um, and, and we're at a point now where the Colts are trending downward in the standings. They're, they're, they're certainly trending towards po- another possible, you know, high draft pick coming for next year. And, you know, there's no timetable for Luck's return. So it, it's starting to sound like, you know, maybe his time isn't over in Indianapolis, but they may be in a position where they can consider at least some flexibility with this contract. Now, the way it's structured and why I want to feature it this week is, Next year will be the last year that any of his money will be guaranteed ahead of time. So right as of right now, half of his roster bonus is already guaranteed for next year. He's got $22 million in dead cap, which would be left with the Colts where they'd trade him or release him at any point in time. But after 2018, that doesn't exist. So they'd, they'd take a $13 million dead cap hit, but they'd be saving $14 million by moving on from him. So there is flexibility. There's leverage for the Colts now after 2018 which could be a really significant year for them if they get a high draft pick, if they decide to rebuild a couple of other areas of their team next year with guys like Frank Gore probably off the team and things like that. So they're in a position where he's, he may be entering a contract year next year when he finally does hit return to the field. 
and he'll certainly be something to watch. And, and where that makes where that's interesting to me, Mike, is if they wind up with a top five pick in the draft next year, your initial reaction is going to say, well, they're not going to take a quarterback. They've got Andrew Luck and Jacoby Brissett. What you're telling me is they could very conceivably trade Jacoby Brissett, keep Andrew Luck for one year, and draft Josh Rosen and have him ready to be their 2019 quarterback, and that makes monetary sense. They could, and they could, they could lose Brissett after this season. They could lose Luck after 2018. It wouldn't cost them a ton of money in terms of their cap hit. And yeah, they could be starting fresh in 2019 with a brand new running back and a brand new quarterback. They've done it before. They should right? have. You know, the Peyton Manning, Andrew amazing. Luck situation, right? The timing yeah. is amazing. They they lucked into it, if you will, yeah. in doing so. It, it looks, it sounds to me like Luck, um, if he wants to remain a Colt, restructuring may be in his best interest. It, I don't, I can't see the Colts doing that because what restructuring would do is it would add more dead cap, which would give them less leverage. So really, you want to ride this out if you're Indianapolis. You want, you want to get him back on the field. You want to make sure he can do what he's going to do. And if he's the guy going forward, great. You've got a nice contract in place and the guaranteed money that falls off after 2019. So they, they really hold all the cards in terms of the decision-making with the money. Um, would they restructure him if they needed to? Yes, but they wouldn't do it until probably 2019. So again, next year is still a make-or-break year for him with the Colts and him in terms of this contract. All right. Speaking of contracts, we, we move on here on the Spot Track uh, podcast here, SpotTrack.com. All right, time for the cap fact for this podcast, and it relates to the baseball playoffs, which are headed towards the World Series and headed towards postseason awards. And, Mike, that has you thinking about some rather interesting numbers as they relate to some of the players whose names may be holding up some hardware. Yeah, so I I started to take a look at at the candidates for league MVPs and Cy Youngs and and those major awards that will be handed out in the next couple of weeks here. And, And what stood off the page for me as I look at this is, Many of these guys are not only young, but still in young contracts. And what that means is we've got, we've got players who are about to win major awards who rank somewhere in the hundreds in terms of where their salaries currently, currently live. So you're looking at a guy like Jose Altuve currently with the Astros. He ranks 252 in the league in terms of how he's paid. Wow. Uh, and you switch over to the National League and Paul Goldschmidt, who may be the best-valued baseball player ever in the history of baseball, annually, year by year. His $6 million average salary just is ridiculous based on the numbers he puts up production-wise. He ranks 146th right now. He's probably going to be the NL MVP, and you know I expect him to be in the same conversation next year. So I should hang on to his rookie card. Yeah, that's a good one to have. He's just been the best value in sports over the last couple seasons, and it's not even debatable. You switch to the pitching. You've got a guy like Corey Kluber with the Indians who signed an extremely team-friendly deal after winning his first Cy Young. So he had all the leverage and still still gave the, the Indians a break. He, he's ranked 167, so he's even a better deal than, than Goldschmidt right now, and he's going to win his second Cy Young this season, it looks like. And then you switch over to the, to the National League, and that's where things finally start to get normalized, right? <laughs> we've got Max Scherzer, we've got Clayton Kershaw, we've got Zach Grinke, all, all candidates for this NL Cy Young. Massive $25 million-plus contracts. So that's really the only area of these awards where you know you're seeing your high-paid players producing to the point of becoming a candidate for an award. Everywhere else, teams are getting extremely great values out of these young players who are producing not only to, for their teams, but but 
producing high enough to be recognized with throughout the entire league. So it, it's, a, it's an area where baseball's funny because they're still stuck in that long contract, right? They're still stuck in, I want the six-year contract and the eight-year contract because it's guaranteed money. But what it does is it locks you in at a price for a long time. And, and the way these sports are changing and evolving, these numbers are rising faster and faster. And a lot of these guys get priced out of their contract after a couple of years. And that's really what you're seeing here with the Altuves and the Goldschmidt's. The, uh, you know, players are playing and succeeding at a higher level younger than I think they ever have in any of our lifetimes. And that's part of this as well, too. Teams are more willing, if not even willing, more encouraged to play younger players early um, for the reasons that they can grow around them and that they tend to make less money. Yes. Um, But it's, well, right. (laughs) But Well, they always make less money, but it's now changed the dynamic of of you're a 25-year-old, five-year veteran veteran which almost never happened before no the veterans are really in a, in a tough position in this in this league right now because yes they're getting a ton of money and they're getting a ton of a ton of reasons and incentives to play because everything's guaranteed but you're right the trend and the trend with the ratings too i mean fans want to see this young fast talent they want to see these aaron judges and these altuves and these springers and those guys who are out there producing right now so you're seeing a huge shift in terms of how the game is being played how the game is being watched and with it comes cheap money and the shift in money and that's why you should check out spotrack.com every single day it's always updated with all the contracts there's always contract news, and we're happy to talk about it right here on the Spot Track Podcast. Mike Janetti from Spot Track, Paul Peck. I'm Kevin Sylvester. Thanks for listening.